it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Top Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have a lot to discuss today, a lot of things going on. Not as crazy as earlier in the week when the President of the United States, the former President of the United States, was brought uh, to Midtown Manhattan, but we have a lot going on. Andy McCarthy is standing by to break down uh, some of the political, some of the legal cases facing the former president. What has happened since we haven't spoken to Andy since we've gotten the indictment? Uh, I did read his column in the New York Post today, pretty thorough. And Josh Rogan at the bottom of the hour of the Washington Post. We have Taiwan's president here, uh, first in New York, then over in in California. Then we got a delegation over in Taiwan. So a lot going on today. Josh Rogan, one of this nation's premier uh, experts when it comes to what's happening with uh, with China. He wrote Chaos Under Heaven. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And you have San Francisco. And you have in, in Washington, D.C., we have a, a woman from Virginia who is murdered. And you have, frankly, a sloppy and incompetent district attorney in New York that is downgrading 52% of felonies. Yeah, doing a great job, isn't he? That is uh, the former running mate of Lee Zeldin, uh, Inspector Allison Esposito of the NYPD. Crime and no punishment is causing great pain to major cities, and so far voters don't seem to care. Look what just happened in Chicago. Number two. The problem they've got is normal, everyday Americans sit down at the kitchen table. They look at their family budget. They look at the cost of gasoline. They look at the disaster on the border. None of those things fit what the Democrats wish they were focused on. True. Uh, Same with me. 2024, uh, Kennedy is about to challenge an incumbent Democratic president. Not Ted going after Jimmy. How about Robert looking to KO Joe? Meanwhile, Newsom quietly heads to Florida. Governor DeSantis goes to Michigan. Let the undeclared candidate campaigning begin. Number one. We had a very productive discussion with the president of Taiwan today. It's clear but there are several actions are necessary. We must continue the arms sales to Taiwan and make sure such sales reach Taiwan. That is uh, Kevin McCarthy. Masterful meetings with the bipartisan delegation in Taiwan as Taiwanese leaderships in California. Does this move us closer to war with China? Why won't the Biden administration itself even offer any insight or their thoughts about these delegations? And about the Taiwanese president, Andrew McCarthy, joins us now, Fox News contributor, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York and best-selling author. Uh, Andy, welcome back. Uh, I have not talked to you since the indictment. You did write a pretty uh, a pretty thorough column that was reprinted in the New York Post from, and also in the National Review. People have a uh, – did Alvin Bragg impress you with what he released? No. I, actually, Brian, I think it turned out to be weaker – than we anticipated. You know, there was a lot of commentary that backed us up a bit because people kept saying, you know, look, no matter what the leaks are, no matter how reliable the reporting seems to be. And remember, these are we were going on reports from places like The New York Times that have great sources in Bragg's office. And 
uh, you know, Trump's own lawyers who've been talking to people in Bragg's office for years about this investigation. Uh, but it was fair enough to say we hadn't seen it yet. Uh, and we didn't, of course, until uh, a couple of days ago in the afternoon. But I think when we did see it, it turned out to be even weaker uh, than uh, we anticipated that it was going to be. And it's a very, it, I think it's a case that has a lot of problems. How much, uh, that, you know, once this all plays out, including the other investigations, how much that will all mean in the long run remains to be seen. Um, but it's a weak case. Uh, to see, here's Cash Patel on what he saw and how he and how he assesses it. You know, he's close aide to the uh, former president. Cut thirty six. And let's remove Donald Trump from the specter of this for just a second to put it in perspective. If the crime that Alvin Bragg has brought about taking money and ledger payments mm -hmm. for a federally elected official and connecting it to a purported felony is true and accurate then every federally elected official in the United States Congress is subjected to that same investigation for taking their staff out to lunch, getting a limo, having a nice haircut, because all of the work they do there is for the purposes of re-election. Mm -hmm. So he's saying retroactively you interfered with the election process of the United States of America. Well, are the attorney generals across America going to prosecute every member of Congress? What do you think? Well, you know, look, Cash has a point, and I don't think it's just uh, it, it's it's just in terms of um, you know expenditures like taking your staff out to lunch. The theory of Bragg's case is that anything a politician does to airbrush bad information that might be out there um, is um, is basically. It can be reformulated into an in-kind campaign yeah. contribution, and I, in my, um, in my time on here here on the planet Earth, which is uh, longer than I'd like to admit to, I, I I've seen a lot of politicians trying to minimize negative information. <laughs> so I, I imagine that um, if that's the Pandora's box we're opening, it's going to be quite the the uh, Pandora's box. But I think that in truth. The, the intention here is that this is uh, this is a set of rules for one particular defendant, and they don't think it's going to apply to anyone else. But you know, those are famous last words, right? I know you don't do politics, but it has fortified him. There's no question because yeah. everything that he's been saying about a trumped-up charge is is turning out to be correct, especially in this case, which might have other people. Ex taking a different view of the next cases, which some say are right. more serious. But, Andy, you just point out to uh, Alvin Bragg, get a calendar. What are you talking about? When were these payments made? When was this done? When was the election, right? Yeah, Th that's, you know, it's one thing, Brian, to, to have the indictment fail as an indictment. And by that, I mean it doesn't state a crime. He fails to put Trump on notice of what crime he contends Trump was concealing by supposedly uh, cooking his books, you know, falsifying records, which is the misdemeanor in, in New York. But I think the the more you know the more obvious conceptual flaw here is that Bragg's theory of the case is that Trump stole the 2016 election by fraud. That's what he lays out in his statement of facts. Um, but then he charges a bunch of crimes that start four months after the election. So no matter what you think of the way Trump kept his books, it's inconceivable that bookkeeping entries that occurred in 2017 
can cause a fraud in connection with an election that happened months earlier. Uh, so it doesn't, you know, it doesn't even make conceptual sense. The thing is, the only thing that Bragg can prove that happened before the election that he says Trump stole by fraud are these non-disclosure agreements. That's what got, that's what has Bragg upset. But the thing is, non-disclosure agreements are legal. They're a staple of uh, civil litigation and civil, civil settlements in the United States. So, you know, he's upset that he can't charge those as crimes. So he's he's basically trying to put them down as kind of a marker, uh, and then, uh, you know, he, he brings these cases which are kind of um, you, you know post dated these these charges that he's bringing. But the thing won't hang together factually because you can't you can't cause a fraud in 2016 by taking deceptive measures in 2017. So you have a situation where there really is no victim, it seems. The banks aren't right. mad at him. The, no contractors are suing him. No accountant is accusing him. There was no tax violations, I didn't think, uh, because right. until they demanded his taxes, there's no charge against it. There was audits and right. accountants were handling it. So the question is, who gets hurt? Stormy Daniels, she got money, and she had no undisclosure payment. So she has spoken... Uh, I have not heard the clips yet. I've only heard one, but she came out and spoke to uh, Pierce Morgan. And here's what she said about testifying. Cut 29. You weren't asked to give evidence to the grand jury, but you may be asked to testify if this ends up as a a trial. How do you feel about potentially testifying in a a trial that will be watched around the world? Um, I mean, anytime you're up in the public eye. It's scary. I, mean, I used to get scared giving an oral book report in school. So, I mean, it's daunting, but I look forward to it. You know what I mean? Because I have nothing to hide. I'm the only one that has been telling the truth. And, you know, you can't shame me any more. So I feel like if they don't, it paints the picture that they know something about me that makes me, you know, untrustworthy or not reliable. So if uh, Andy... Stormy Daniels is going to be asked to take the stand? Uh, depends on how much of a clown show they want to turn this into because she's really an irrelevant witness, Brian. It's, you know, given the, the, that what people are always interested in are the salacious details of this whole thing, um, it, there's great anticipation about whether she would testify. But the thing is, this is a records case. It's a business records case. It's not um, – the issue before the jury is not going to be to resolve whether Trump actually had a fling with a porn star or not. There's no doubt that there was a non-disclosure agreement because there's a document. There's no doubt that uh, Cohen paid 130 grand and that Trump paid him back. And the issue in the case is how they booked the payments. So she's not really relevant, which is exactly why she didn't testify in the grand jury. She wasn't necessary to uh, brand right. uh, putting the case together. So I, I, I personally, Brian, I don't think this case is going to get to trial. And I also think that by the time we cross that bridge, there's going to be developments in these other investigations that make this seem um, subordinate in our concerns. I mean, it's the big thing now, right, because it's uh, it's what's right in front of us. But I think if we come back, like maybe even six weeks from now, We'll, we may be wondering what all the fuss was about. Right. Uh, do you think this case at all helps the other two? Could there be some coordination? Could there be a reason why 
he handed in an incomplete indictment? No, I don't think I don't think this this can only hurt the other cases because I think the other cases are stronger. And this is not only weak, it's like obviously partisan. So it plays into Trump's defense where he'd like to link all of the different cases together as one big um, partisan leveraging of law enforcement uh, powers to take out the Democrats main rival. That's that's the way he would like to pitch it. The thing, you know, the thing about this that I think people need to remember is that just because political motivations are in play doesn't mean that everybody has the same political motivations. So the Democratic Party has one set of motivations writ large. I think they would like to orchestrate a situation where Trump gets the Republican nomination and then they they run against him in November because they're confident they can beat him. Bragg, Bragg's motivations are not the same as the Democratic Party writ large. He was elected by progressives in New York promising to get Trump. And what they really care about, they don't really care, I don't think, that much. I mean, obviously, they'd like to see him convicted. But what they care about more is dragging him through this process and making it as uh, financially that should be illegal. And, 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 and humiliating. Yeah, you know. Uh, he's got, um, in two weeks, I understand, Andy, they're going to have him uh, on a rape accusation in, in court. And I understand that uh, Letitia James eventually is going to be suing him for $220 million. Yeah, well, Letitia James has already sued him. So that case is proceeding. And the other thing. But I heard it was put on hold. Is that not true? It's it's still out there, though. I mean, the case is not going to be tried anytime soon, but she's trying to get a monitor put in to take over Trump's business uh, in New York. And you're right about the other case. The E. Jean Carroll lawsuit is uh, careening toward trial. That's that's coming up. And Judge Kaplan in the Southern District of New York ruled that uh, she could put in a lot of uh, evidence about the, uh, you know, that uh, that tape that came out right before the election, the famous one. Access um, Hollywood. Access Hollywood. I always forget that. that I'm having so many senior moments when I talk to you. Why? Are you? I, I, um, you've been up 24 <laughs> hours a day studying this stuff. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. But I just failed the test. I didn't know the answer. So, But um, that case is coming up. And, and Kaplan made some rulings that, that, you know, there's very unsavory information about, you know, allegations from other women and that sort of stuff that are going to come out in that case. So I think what eventually Republicans are going to have to realize, no matter whether you think, you know, Trump is being persecuted or that he's, you know, he's done a lot of this to himself, so he's got to come. And however you feel about it, do you want to have a nominee who there may not be any bottom to how many problems He's going right. to have and how much baggage and how much it accumulates and how unpredictable he is. So that's the issue, really. Well, if you want to run against him, if you're Nikki Haley or Governor DeSantis or Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, real quick, where, what's the timing on Georgia? Is it all up to the is it all up to the D.A. right now because the grand jury did their job? And what about Mar-a-Lago? Any sign to the bottom of Jack Smith's investigation? Yeah, you know, I think the most important thing that may have happened this week, Brian, that we we really haven't talked about is Smith is going to put the um, the Secret Service agents in the grand jury tomorrow, uh, Friday. That's really a big deal. I mean, you can imagine that the Secret Service does not want they never want their agents to have to testify about what goes on with a protectee. It makes their job much more difficult. It makes it hard to win the protectee's uh, confidence. So my my only reason for underscoring that 
is people need to understand how serious Smith is about, you know, the government's doing a lot of things that it would not be doing unless it was dead serious about making a case here. So I think that one's coming. But Mar-a-Lago is, is the most dangerous case for Trump, and it's he's definitely going to indict that. Right. Well, but, he, yeah, there's no doubt about it. And, and the thing is, they flipped his attorney, and that was pretty serious. They made his attorney yeah. testify against his client. Right. Well, but that also shows that, you know, the attorney is the one that provided the uh, one of the ones who provided the false statement to the grand jury. So the fact that they had the attorney testify means they don't think the attorney wow. committed a crime. They think that he was just transmitting to the grand jury what Trump told him. That's gotcha. that's what's going on. there. Crazy. Uh, Andy McCarthy, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. All right. We're going to come back. Take your calls. Then Josh Rogan at the bottom of the hour, the latest on Taiwan, China and so much more. Don't move. So glad you're here. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I, well, in, a, in about 10 minutes, we'll be able to talk to Josh Rogan about what's taking place. In case you do not know, uh, China has got their three aircraft carriers basically going around the island of Taiwan, and the surrounding islands are there. Uh, and they're also warning uh, and, and warning us. Uh, war- we're warning. They had, we're sending emails to uh, Speaker McCarthy and others not to meet with the president as she transited through as she transited through the country, you know, she was in New York, she was in Washington, and now she's in California. They something's very typical. But, you know, they're really lobbying hard. I have no idea why China needs Taiwan now. They go to Argentina, who had recognized Taiwan, and they said, flip it, and we'll give you a good uh, economic deal. And they did. So they no longer have technical relations with Taiwan. But if you want to get chips, you want to be a part of a democracy, you want to par- uh, trade with a, a company that delivers, a country that delivers, it's Taiwan. So China's the one having big-time problems. Taiwan was the one to first recover. And for a national security reason, you know we cannot allow Ch- Taiwan to go down. If they go down, China will be the only other place we can get chips from, and they will absorb the no- our number one provider, and that is Taiwan. Chips on everything we do on maybe the phone you're listening to me on or the iPad you're watching me on. All right, when we come back, Josh Rogan, Brian Kilmeade Show. Then after that, one 408 Where to write. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. But once again, and, and I know you know a lot, of, a lot of viewers don't want to hear this, or listeners don't want to hear this, but, but I would offer that we still need to find some common ground, because here's why. If we continue to push China away, where will China go? They will build this alliance with Russia, and they will strengthen it. They did it. Right. So our, our goal should be to separate China from Russia. And the way you do that is, once again, you hold them accountable, but you also have to find some common ground. Find common ground in trade. Find common ground in climate. Find common ground somewhere where we can engage with them so that if we do have a, you know, a, a dust-up in the South China Sea, all of a sudden it doesn't escalate into war. And then by building a little bit of this contentious relationship, we can start to separate them from you know, their, their buddies there in Russia. 
That's Admiral Craven, uh, and he has a brand-new book out. You'll love it. Uh, we did a complete hour with him, and we were talking about China and engaging. Yeah, good luck with that. We talk more with Russia, believe it or not, than we do with China, and it takes two to do that. That's uh, not the reality we're living in right now, though. Josh Rogan, author of Chaos Under Heaven, Washington Post columnist, um, he joins us now. Josh, uh, it doesn't seem like China and the U.S. have much common ground these days. Right. Now, all, all due respect to uh, uh, Admiral McRaven, and uh, thank you, Admiral McRaven, for your decades of service. But uh, yeah, no, I think he's totally wrong about this. It's, it's 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 kind of crazy to look at the U.S.-China relationship and say, oh yeah, there's a lot of room for cooperation because, of course, that's exactly what we've been trying to do for 45 years, Brian. And how's it working out? And you know, the Biden administration. They tried to engage China on climate change, but they wouldn't do it. They don't care about it. They're building coal plants three times as fast as the rest of the world combined using forced labor and, you know, dirty coal. To You know, it, it, it's just insane to think that, you know, we can peel Russia off China because they're thick as thieves because they're both thieves. And we ha- we're their main thing that unites them is their opposition to us. They're united by their desire to topple us off of our perch as the most powerful, most influential nation in the world. And that, if they succeed, would be bad not just for us, but for the entire world. So, no, I mean, I I, I think, uh, while, of course, we want to have good relations with China, we should leave the door open. Uh, we got to admit that they're they're not walking through it. That's just the, the reality. What's your reaction to the Taiwanese president coming here, transiting in New York, D.C., and now in California? Here's Kevin McCarthy yesterday. Cut one. We had a very productive discussion with the president of Taiwan today. We covered the crucial ways to further our bonds. Based on our conversations, it's clear that there are several actions are necessary. First, we must continue the arms sales to Taiwan and make sure such sales reach Taiwan on a very timely basis. Second, we must strengthen our economic cooperation particularly with trade and technology. All right. Uh, number one, they ordered, I think, $30 million, uh, $30 million worth of, of, of uh, arms we have not delivered yet. Right. There, you know, I, I spoke with Speaker McCarthy uh, last night after the meeting, actually. And, and uh, you know, what came through from to me was that how bipartisan this was. You know, there, there were there were, uh, you know, Democrats, Republicans, progressives, conservatives. Love it. They're all on Taiwan's side. There's a good reason because the American people are on Taiwan's side because the Taiwan story is compelling, Brian. It's a small democracy on full of Chinese people. It proves that China can have a democracy, and that's why the Chinese Communist Party hates it so much. And so everyone agrees that we got to support Taiwan, but then how come it's not happening? How come the arms are not flowing the way that they should? How come uh, you know we can't seem to get them a trade deal or an investment deal or to save – you know, they're all of their diplomatic allies from going over to switching to the Chinese side. And it's just this whole sort of Washington dysfunction. You know, we're we're good at the rhetoric of bad at the actual implementation of the policy. And uh, that's why I think sizes is really important, actually, because it reminds everyone uh, here in America that uh, we have a role to play to keep Taiwan free. And, uh, you know, if we don't do it, nobody will. So here's a, so the thing that's missing, you got Democrats, you got Republicans, you got senators, you have House members, minority, majority. But what about the president of the United States? Here's the question that was put to Karine Jean-Pierre, cut eight. On the Taiwan president visit, if China tries to take over Taiwan, is President Biden still committed 
to putting U.S. boots on the ground in Taiwan? We've, we've answered this question multiple times. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I don't have anything else to share. Uh, Jesus. Yeah, nothing. What does that mean? Well, because President Biden said four times that we would come to Taiwan's yes. defense. Now, Americans don't want to send, uh, you know, U.S. troops into Taiwan, but they do want to help the Taiwanese. So what does that mean? Something like Ukraine, right? A big money and weapons operation. And, it, you know, that's a that's a real thing. But the White House won't say that because they don't want to disrupt U.S.-China relations, uh, which, if you haven't noticed already, couldn't really get any worse. I mean, they're, they, they won't even pick up the phone. So you have this weird situation where the White House is bending over backwards to try to preserve some sort of relationship with Beijing, like Admiral McRaven really wants them to do, right? It sounds so nice when you, when you, when you say it, but they won't, it's not working. And it ends up in us censoring ourselves. It ends up making President Tsai do ridiculous things like call it a transit stop instead of a visit, as if that makes a difference. I went to this uh, event with Tsai uh, uh, at the Hudson Institute, uh, where she wrote in New York last week. I was there. I was in the room. And uh, she can't even say the word China. She can't even uh, put her do a, a press interview because everyone's worried about offending the delicate sensibilities of a genocidal uh, regime. And that's the bizarre, you know, trap that they want us in. They want the Beijing wants us to self-censor so that we don't, you know, make them angry. But then it's all about them and not about the actual mission at hand, which is making sure the small country of Taiwan is full of wonderful people who all they want to do is just live their lives and have jobs and, you know, and vote for their leaders and love who they want and pray to who they want and say what they want. And the, and Beijing is standing over them with a gun to their head, saying, "No, you can't do that." And uh, that's about as fundamental as it gets, Brian. That's the that's about as basic as freedom uh, can be described. So the other the other mission they have, and we discussed this on television, talking to Josh Rogan, is their big mission to get everybody off the dollar and onto the, the yuan, uh, their currency. You said basically good luck with that, but it looks like Russia's signed on to that. France might be open to it. Saudi Arabia, clearly Iran. Uh, you know some of their 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 uh, their evil uh, their evil friends, right? I mean, it's kind of uh, on the one hand, it's it's ridiculous because if, there's no sane businessman who would look at the U.S. dollar and look at the Chinese yuan or the Russian ruble and be like, oh yeah, my money's safer, my wealth is more secure in the Russian ruble or the Chinese yuan. That's an insane thing to think, right? So the only rational reason that people like Mohammed bin Salman and the crown prince of Saudi Arabia are doing this is because they want to cozy up to Beijing and piss off the Biden administration, right? So it's not really about the economics, which no matter what you want to say about sanctions and U.S. dollar, it's still by far the safest place to put any stored wealth over any other currency and will be for – that's my point – for a generation. So the rest of it is just politics and diplomacy, and I think what we see is that the Saudis are cozying up to our enemies and screwing with us and that the, Fr the French, uh, French President Macron is doing something a little different. He's playing footsie with the Chinese. He's saying, oh, I'm going to be the one European who's a little bit nicer to you in the hope that he'll get some treats, some, a pat on the head and some economic rewards, and he just might. So, yeah, I'm just uh, very curious to see, what do you think of Macron going over to China? You know, they've had uh, rough relations, too. The European Union, extremely valuable market to them. He also wants them to play a constructive role and, and talk some sense into Vladimir Putin. What do you think about this? Right. I mean, I, someone, one of my colleagues said to me yesterday, put it this way, like the French are practice realism, but they always do it in the stupidest possible way. You know, it's like, uh, you know, he thinks that he's going to be, you know, the broker of a, uh, 
you know, make some sort of grand bargain with the Chinese to solve Ukraine and, and avoid Cold War III. But it's it's not realistic because nobody really cares what Macron thinks, and it's it's he's a marginal figure in the overall great game. But you know, it's it's a problem for us because we're trying to get Europe on board with this thing, uh, and to you know now the Europeans realize that Russia's a a threat, but they don't still realize fully that China's a threat. And, uh, you know, they're all playing their own games. So, you know, it's it's part of this effort to confront the China challenges to get our allies on the same page. And, uh, you know, I don't think right. we should stop them from going to Beijing. I don't think that's that, you know, that we need to cut off relations with China. Quite the opposite. I'm just saying that maybe we should coordinate this thing. And Macron is playing his own game for his own purposes. Right. And, and the thing is, if you're the president of the United States, Josh, there's, a, there's an argument to be made is, uh, excuse me, Emmanuel, we're friends. Uh, can you get on the phone? Pick up the phone. What are you doing? And you don't have to talk him out of it, but you could make yourself on the same page. Do me a favor. Tell me this is my approach. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm worried about. This is what our intelligence says. And you don't have to sit there and be shunned. You could actually get on the offensive. It doesn't seem like our State Department's doing their job and the administration's aggressive enough. What about the Japan buying Russian oil in violation of the sanctions? Yeah, this is a tough one because Japan. I, you know, I interviewed Japanese Prime Minister Kishida in January, and uh, you know they doubled their defense budget because not because of Washington groupthink, because they're worried about China and Russia. They they help Ukraine. They're the most pro-Ukraine country uh, in the in the in Asia. But at the same time, it's pretty clear that our sanctions regime is breaking down, and you know the Russian economy is fine. All the oil is just going to other countries who are buying it on the cheap, and uh, you know the Saudis are, are 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 really screwing us by cutting supply at the worst possible moment to help Putin. And the Japanese are in the middle. They're like, oh, are we going to be the only schmucks? You know. So I get that there's cheating, but in the grand scheme of things, Japan is the one country that has been the most anti-Putin and the most Ukraine. So let's just keep that in mind. Yeah, I mean, it's, if we can't convince Japan, who just sent somebody to meet with Zelensky, uh, the, I think it was right. the president. I mean, if, if of course, we, and who has yeah. now decided to double their defense, and they know Russia is all part of the, this evil alliance, if we can't convince them. Plus, we are capable of producing more oil. So, I mean, we might be right. able to help some people if we ever decided to stop making windmills for a well, day. Let me tell you. Let me tell you, yeah, you're exactly right, Brian, but let me tell you some inside scoop. So, you know, one thing I heard when I was in Tokyo was that we don't have to produce more oil. We, we produce tons of LNG, okay? The Japanese want LNG, but we won't give them LNG. Why? Because there's half of the uh, Biden uh, White House doesn't want to do it, right? John Kerry looks at that and he says, oh, that's just going to increase our dependence on fossil fuels, right? They don't even want to use LNG as a transition. So the Japanese look at that and they're like, okay, you're telling us not to buy Russian oil and Iranian oil, by the way. And uh, you won't even give us the LNG that you already have. So that's that's the dysfunction of having a nuts, a, 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 a contradictory energy policy. Can I just say it burn, we all know it burns clean and that has more to do with the, the, the lesson in carbon, our carbon footprint over the last 20 years is the fracking, the, the miracle of fracking and what we were able to discover. Yeah, I mean, even if you only think that LNG is a transitional fuel, it's still pretty clear that we need it right now and we need and, and we've decided to use energy and oil as a as a diplomatic weapon right that's how we're fighting the russians we're trying to yeah to screw the the energy markets and we're not using our biggest tool which is our biggest newest source of energy to do it look at the europeans right where you know somebody bombed the pipeline they need gas too but we we still haven't built the infrastructure to make that happen so you know you don't have to be pro fossil fuels to realize that energy is part of strategy 
and we're doing it in a half-assed way, and that's the worst of all worlds. I can't argue. Uh, in terms of actual confrontation, I was able to speak to uh, to Admiral McRaven and General Keene about this. Here's what McRaven said, and the bottom line is they could overwhelm our aircraft carriers with the with the just volume of rockets and missiles that they have. Listen, let's listen. This is the biggest concern: is our hypersonic weapons? Can their weapons reach us before, frankly, we can reach them? But again, the Navy understands this, Brian. This is this is not something that all of a sudden the Navy woke up and went, "Oh my gosh, we are threatened from surface to surface missiles from the you know from the shore from from other ships." But we haven't solved it. Well, it, the Navy's not going to tell you whether they've solved it or not. So yeah, you can do tabletop exercises and you can look at you know missile X can get to our ship before we can uh, stop missile X, or do we have technology that in fact is you know counter missile technology that'll work? Huh? Yeah. Nice. I'll, t- I'll tell you, uh, they haven't solved it. <laughs> it's, it is not solved. And, you know, while we were sort of sleeping, uh, the Chinese uh, uh, leapfrogged us on hypersonics. And now they can, they've made all of our aircraft carriers into sitting ducks. There's no way around that cold, hard reality. Uh, but, you know, when you're, again, all, you know, thank you, Admiral McRaven, for your service. Uh, you know, when you're in that position of being a Navy admiral, if you know, because all you have is hammers, every problem look like, looks like a nail. And the truth is that hypersonic missiles hitting aircraft carriers is really not the most likely thing that's going to happen in Taiwan. That's not the scenario. That's it's one of the scenarios, but it's not the only one for sure, and it's definitely not the most likely one. And again, let me just quote President Tsai, who I, I heard from in New York last week, and she said, "The military thing. That's yeah, we have to prepare for that. But the fight is now." And it's going on in the information space and in cyber warfare and in propaganda and cognitive warfare and, you know, social media and all of that stuff and political interference. And, you know, what the Chinese Chinese don't want to fight a war. They're, they're going to do it as a last resort. What they'd rather do is to coerce Taiwan to submit to them without a war. And that's the thing that we don't have tools for. That's the thing that Admiral McRaven never commanded was like a political influence operations response. We don't do that, but we need to because that's what the Chinese are doing to subjugate the Taiwanese. And, uh, yeah, yeah, sure, the hypersonics is a problem, but this is a problem, too, and this is actually a more urgent one. Have you heard a good explanation of why we have not given them the weapons they paid for? Well, one explanation is that a lot of them went to Ukraine, so there's a huge backlog. Uh, another explanation is that there's disagreements actually between Washington and Taipei on defensive priorities and spending, and we want them to do certain things, and they don't want to do it, and they've got their own domestic politics. And the third explanation is that you know we're just not serious about this thing, and you know we 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 talk a big game, and I'm talking about Democrats, Republicans, the media, you know the uh, you know the administration, all the administration. I'm talking about as a town, Washington, and as a as a society. We haven't put Taiwan as a priority, and we better start doing that right now because the lesson from Ukraine should have been that we need to to stop the war. You need to do more before the attack, right? When I talked to President Zelensky, I talked to him, and I said, what would you say to the people of Taiwan? He said, I would tell them prepare before the attack. Once the attack happens, it's too late, and yeah. we seem to be repeating that mistake, and that's a tragedy. It is, and it's so preventable. Uh, Josh Rogan, thanks so much. Always great. Appreciate it. Anytime. All right, uh, we'll come back. We'll take your calls. I know you have a lot to say. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. So you want to have I, I do. I do. I think having them call me in and put me on the stand, 
legitimizes my story and who I am. And if they don't, it almost feels like they're hiding me. And people will automatically assume I would、mm. that, oh, that she must not be a good witness. She's not credible. Like, so there's no doubt if they ask you to testify, you will testify. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Stormy Daniels, big interview with Pierce Morgan. He was able to get it. I think it was slightly delayed. She was worried about her security, but she speaks out. Do you know that she has got a big story on her in Vogue? I'm not sure if it's a cover or just the middle of the book. I don't think they call it a centerfold anymore. But a big feature on her and all the different classy outfits. I mean, she says she lists on her taxes porn star. So I just wondered what would it take for Melania Trump, who was an international model. Who's done almost everything right as a first lady? Never got the respect she deserved. Can you imagine to get on Vogue? They, they would sell a lot of copies. Number one, if you're into doing that. Number two is, can you imagine if she did what Jill Biden did, and that is go to the W, excuse me, W, the NCAA finals game, which drew I think as many as 12 million million viewers at one point, average nine, shows up and says, "I'd like to invite the winner, LSU." And I'd like to invite Iowa too, the runner-up. That will be the first time in history the runner-up is ever invited. And the LSU mostly black, Iowa mostly white. Everyone's jumping to racial conclusions, but giving her a pass outside their star player—that would have been a disaster. She's not fit to be in the White House. She's not even from this country. But Jill Biden continues to screw up. We shouldn't call them tacos. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest-growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show、uh, from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world.、Uh, Mark Tyson standing by. We've got to get his、uh, international expertise, as well as Congressman Burgess Owens at the bottom of the hour out of Utah. And a lot of news. I mean, for one thing, I was wrong. I did not realize that the Taiwanese president did not go to Washington. I just thought the Taiwanese president didn't go to see the president, and we shoulda、uh, transiting through. Evidently, that it happens. They want to stop us from doing that. They don't like that they're doing it. The, I think if I could just paraphrase what they just put out in a statement, America is going across a very dangerous path. Really, in doing what we've always done, having the speaker, the former speaker, go visit, and having the current speaker. Uh, host over in California, senators、uh, in New York meet bipartisan. By the way, and now you have、uh, you have basically China saying we're pushing we're pushing the envelope in the region. So we、uh, definitely have to get a, get a hold of this. That is the news that is more important. Where everyone's caught up in these court cases with the former president. This is what really matters. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three, and you have San Francisco, and you have in in Washington D.C. We have a, a woman from Virginia who is murdered, and you have, frankly, a sloppy and incompetent district attorney in New York that is downgrading fifty two percent of felonies. Yeah, that is Alice Esposito, detective, former running mate of Lee Zeldin in New York. Crime and no punishment is causing great pain in cities like this one, and so far voters do not seem to care. They put in these horrible politicians who put criminals first. Number two, the problem they've got is normal everyday Americans sit down at the kitchen table. They look at their family budget. They look at the cost of gasoline. They look at the disaster on the border. None of those things fit what the Democrats wish they were focused on. 
but they are having success. 2024, a Kennedy is about to challenge an incumbent Democratic president. Not Ted challenging Jimmy. How about Robert going to KO Joe? Meanwhile, Newsom quietly heads to Florida and Governor DeSantis of Florida goes to Michigan. Let the undeclared candidates race begin. Number one. We had a very productive discussion with the president of Taiwan today. It's clear that there are several actions are necessary. We must continue the arms sales to Taiwan and make sure such sales reach Taiwan. Uh, that is Kevin McCarthy, uh, masterful meetings with bipartisan delegations in Ta- with Taiwan and their Taiwanese leadership. We have a delegation in Taiwan right now led by Michael McCall. I love it. Does this move us closer to war? I don't know. But we can't continue to live in a crouch. And that's not going to work, especially when we have the firepower we have. With me right now is Mark Thiessen, uh, Mark Washington Post columnist, Fox News contributor, best-selling author. Mark, welcome back. Your thoughts about what, what they're doing on a bipartisan level here? I think it's great. And I also thought Kevin McCarthy had the best line of all when he, when he was asked about uh, China's threats. He said, look, I'm the Speaker of the House. I'm not the general manager of the Houston Rockets. The Chinese can't tell me what to do, <laughs> which I thought was outstanding. Which, um, which like, as you know, the, the Chinese, the general manager, now general manager of the 76ers, supported Hong Kong in a retweet or a tweet, and that caused the NBA to be yanked out of the country. Uh, so exactly. that's what you're referring to. Exactly. Look, here's the thing. We need to stop. We need to deter China from from doing in Taiwan what Russia has done in Ukraine. And this is why, quite frankly, victory in Ukraine is critical to our deterrence in, 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 Taiwan, in China. So think about this. If we are not willing to defend Ukraine, which is an actually an internationally recognized sovereign state, China's going to look at that and say, are they really going to defend Taiwan, which isn't officially a country? And if we're not willing to spend money, you know, to to defend Ukraine while the Ukrainians are doing all the fighting, China's going to say, are the Americans really going to send you risk the lives of U.S. troops to defend Taiwan? Our deterrence, if we fail in Ukraine, our deterrence of China is will be absolutely obliterated. Um, and so it is just absolutely critical to what we are trying to do uh, to to stop a war with China uh, that we succeed in stopping Putin in Ukraine. Uh, no question. Uh, I want you to hear what El- Eldbridge, uh, Eldbridge Colby said uh, last night about Taiwan. On the, he's the Marathon Initiative principal. Cut 17. Unfortunately, extremely seriously, I think the speaker is correct. But we also need to see very clearly what's what's going on. I mean, we don't need to speculate. Xi Jinping has open, essentially openly d- d- directed the Chinese military to be re- ready to invade and occupy uh, Taiwan by 2027. They are uh, initiating a massive uh, nuclear buildup. Uh, they've got the world's largest industrial base and shipbuilding industry. We saw what they did after Speaker Pelosi's visit. So unfortunately, Xi Jinping, say what you will about him, he's serious as a heart attack, and we, we have to take him very seriously. So I don't know what else he plans on doing except circling the island. Do you think Taiwan takes their defense seriously? Uh, I think they do. And uh, But, you know, here, here's the thing we need to realize is that here's, a, here's another difference between uh, Ukraine and and Taiwan. Ukraine has a long border with Russia, which one makes it easier to invade, but also easy to resupply. If 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 China were to try to invade Taiwan, we would have to try to we, our strategy is to stop them from succeeding and crossing the Taiwan Strait. But they could theoretically encircle the island, even if they can't reach it, and that would mean we can't do what we're doing in Ukraine, which is sending weapons over the border after the fact. So we need to look at Taiwan right now and say, if China invaded tomorrow, what would we wish we had given Taiwan? 
to defend itself and then give it to them now before an invasion happens. Because once an invasion, attempted invasion happens, it's too late. We've got to start arming the. Uh, we've got to start arming the Taiwanese. We've got to start deploying the right capabilities to back up our deterrence posture. Uh, and you know, President Biden, to his credit, has said four times now that the United States military will uh, will defend Taiwan. Four times the White House has walked that back. Biden was right the first, second, third, and fourth time. Uh, and you know, the we need to, we need to make it clear to the Chinese. You know, what what the reason why? Ask yourself why did would Putin invade Ukraine? Uh, but not invade Poland, because Poland is a NATO ally. It has an Article 5 commitment, and he knows that if he invades Poland or if he invades the, uh, the Baltic states, he will immediately be at war with the United States. That is what deters the war. That is what kept the peace in Europe and prevented the Soviet Union from cross-sending its troops across the Fulda Gap, because they knew under Article 5 we had strategic clarity that we would, uh, that we would defend them. We need to have strategic clarity with, with Taiwan and make clear to the Chinese that, we will, that if, if they try it, they'll be at war with the United States. Let's talk about Russia for a second. If you told me Russia and uh, China were, uh, were exchanging trade in oil, I knew it. They've been, they've, uh, they've been evil allies. Iran, same thing. I get it, evil allies. But now we have Japan buying oil from Russia? And now we, you know, Josh Rogan on with me last hour, uh, Washington Post columnist, and said, well, Japan wants natural gas. We won't give them natural gas. So what do you want them to do? Yeah, the war on fossil fuels is undermining, is, is undermining our efforts to prevent war in the Taiwan Strait. It's just that simple. The, the, uh, we, we need to and – and the other thing is we, you know, we should be you – know, one of the things that the war in Ukraine has done is given us an opportunity to supplant Russia as the principal supplier of natural gas to Europe. This is, this, is, you know, this is a huge opportunity for the United States to expand its exports of liquid, liquefied natural gas around the world. So we should be supplying Japan. We should be supplying Europe. We should be supplanting the Russians. Uh, that's, that's both economically smart for us. It creates American jobs, and it also enhances our national security. Let's talk about what's happening over in Russia. Uh, we know, too, their winter offensive has failed. They, they are uh, making some progress in Bakud. Bakud, but they are not taking it. They're not encircling it. They've taken tremendous losses there. So when you look at uh, the offensive that's expected in the spring, I think there is so much on this because Ukraine can be worn down. Despite how hard they're fighting, they only have a finite amount of people. So this is going to be big for this contest, especially with an election coming. And so many Republicans deciding this is not worth it. Yeah, it, it's it's remarkable to me, and I'll tell you, it's also it's out of touch with what the American people say. So I there's a new Harvard Caps uh, Harris poll that came out, and I actually got the the cross tabs exclusively to see uh, what what it's saying about this. Do you know that that 69? You know, Ron DeSantis has taken this sort of squishy view on on Ukraine because he's afraid uh, of this rising, you know, supposedly rising anti-isolationist sentiment on the right. You know how many uh, DeSantis supporters say we should help Ukraine until Putin is defeated and for or forced to draw pull all of his forces out of Ukraine? What's the percentage? Sixty nine percent. Sixty nine percent. Sixty percent of Republicans overall uh, believe that uh, believe that uh, that should be the case. The Republican Party is not isolationist. They're reluctant internationalists. They want to be told what's what's at stake for our national security. But the, the Republican Party wants to help the Ukrainian people. Most Republicans in the country want to help the Ukrainian people defeat the Russians. So we got to stop. You know, uh, the, the 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 Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Matt Gaetzes are vote are a vocal minority. They're, they're loudmouth, but they don't represent the, the majority of the Republican Party. We need to stand up to those people. We need to stand up to, to them and help the Ukrainians win. 
Do you think, you know, there's speculation out there that 60 Minutes would try to feature one Republican and they feature Marjorie Taylor Greene. Do you think it's because they want the whole party labeled as that extreme? Yes. And and their and their influence is disproportionate to their numbers and their support. I mean, Lauren Boebert won, you know, won her election by like what one vote <laughs> she, right. in a, in an overwhelmingly majority Republican district. They 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 get elected and then the media portrays them like they're they like they're they they're the voice of the Republican Party. These these are a, they are we they're they have look the Democrats have their crackpots. You know, they got the, the the squad and all the rest of them. And we've got our crackpots. And that, that happens in every political party. But, you know, they, these people do not represent the majority of Republican voters. They do not represent the Republican uh, majority of elected Republicans. They're a bunch of, of very loudmouth, uh, you know, uh, morons. And we need to stop treating them like they are, are giving them power disproportionate to, to their actual support in the party. So just as I, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Nikki Haley has raised about $11 million. She's got some big donors. It looks like Governor DeSantis is in Michigan today. Governor Gavin Newsom is in Florida at a university talking to a few dozen of uh, uh, very friendly students, perhaps. And then you have uh, then you have a situation where the president is going to a donors conference and begging donors, and I wouldn't say begging, I would say telling donors to abandon DeSantis, his numbers are cratering. Where do you think this race is at right now? You know, the the the, the indictment is is a, of Trump is a is a disaster, um, both because it's turning our country into a banana republic where the where the uh, where the justice system is weaponized against our political opponents. But it's also serving the interests of it. So it's great for Donald Trump from pol- a political spectrum. It's also great for the Democrats because it makes it more likely he'll be our nominee. He's the, they, they've won three elections now running against Trump, the 2018 midterms, the 2022 uh, 2020 election and now the 2022 midterms, where it was his handpicked candidates that cost us control of the Senate. Um, and, and so they they're very comfortable running against Trump. They think that that's the best. They, they've won three elections, and they think they can win a fourth. And the polls show that the, that a slight majority of Republicans want somebody other than Trump to be the nominee. But uh, you know, the, 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 and, and quite frankly, the majority of Democrats don't want Biden to be the nominee. I would love to see uh, a, if you put our if you take Trump and Biden out of the out of the out of the race and put our bench up against their bench, they don't have a chance. I just can't believe that Joe, Joe Biden is just running out of gas before our eyes, can't even do a press conference, can't answer a question, has no uh, let alone but, he hit, but he'll just hide in his basement, in the White House basement, like he hid in his basement in Delaware and let Trump and let Trump, you know, lose the election. I don't know if it'll uh, fly. But you know what I did notice? The president of the United States did, I thought, give a solid speech at Mar-a-Lago. Here's what Newt yeah. Gingrich said, what this all means, cut 34. And then I thought his speech last night was extraordinarily well-written and well-delivered. And again, it was a tone of reasonableness, a tone of talking about the accurate history of the last couple of years and just how bad the left has been. So I think probably the left tonight is a little frustrated because they may begin to sink into them. They may just have guaranteed he'll be the Republican nominee. Your thoughts about his thoughts? They want him to be the nominee. I mean, I agree. Look, look I, I think Donald Trump was a great president. I, th- I think that if, if he had spent the last two years talking about his accomplishments in office instead of relitigating the 2020 election, he'd be cruising to victory. <laughs> but but he, he's made himself completely toxic to swing voters in this country. This election is going to be decided by about 200,000 people in five states, swing voters. 
And the question is, do, are they more likely to vote for Trump or somebody else on the Republican ticket? And the answer is obvious. He's, he's made himself toxic to swing voters. And so I, 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 I have no ill will towards Donald Trump. I think he was a great president, but I don't want to lose a fourth election. And if you just look at the, 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 what you just described, Joe Biden, who can't put together a sentence, who's, who's, you know, who's, who's unleashed the worst inflation in 40 years, worst border crisis in American history, worst, you know, worst collapse in real wages in four decades. You know, you, the litany of worst under this president is unheard of in American history. He makes Jimmy Carter look like Ronald Reagan. And that's more important than avenging Donald Trump. That, that, the, the threat that this guy poses with another four years is so high that we can't afford to risk another election on this. And so I, 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 I wish Donald Trump well. I, wish he, I, I think he, his place in history is secure for what he accomplished. I think it's terrible the way the left is tra- treating him. But this is bigger than, Donald, than one man. It's about saving our country, and we need to pick. We need to have a clear-eyed decision. Pick who is the best person to defeat Joe Biden. That is the only question that should be before the eyes of Republicans right now. Right, and it's just so he is so beatable on his record and his age, and it just he cannot do this job. And his wife has done just can't even bail him out at the NCAA championship game. She screwed that up. (laughs) So good luck with your talk surrogates. About, talk about like the absurdity of the equity culture on the left. Let's yeah. invite the losers to the White House. <laughs> no. Yeah. And also, <laughs> you know, let's invite the white team to the White House because we don't want to be stuck with just the black team. That's what they oh, assume. God. It was incredible. <laughs> uh, uh, Mark Thiessen, thanks so much. Good to be with you, Brian. All right. one 866 When we come back, I'll take your calls. You might agree or not, uh, but he's a realist, Mark Thiessen. He, he wants... His party to win. He does not think Trump can do it right now. What do you think? one 408 7669 Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, we are back. Let's go out to Marty listening in Orlando, WDBO. Hey, Marty. Hey, uh, Brian, on this uh, Ukraine deal with Japan, the U.S. Biden administration greenlighted that. I want to support Ukraine, but I don't understand what we're doing because they're spending money we don't have, sending over military equipment that we are not replenishing for a policy that is completely misguided. But did we ask Canada or did we open up our own spigots to help out Japan or did we try to mend fences with Saudi Arabia? No, we're helping by Japan buying it oil. We're helping fund the Russian we part are. of the war. Yeah, it's crazy. It's terrible diplomacy. It doesn't mean that that it's necessary for Ukraine to push back Russia. But what else are we doing? It it, it demands more than just here. Take this take this gun and go win. I I cannot believe we greenlighted that uh, that purchase. Uh, You're the first time I'm hearing that Japan and Russia. Why would we ever greenlight that? We're looking to bypass our own sanctions. Why did we not pressure India to stay the hell out of Russia the best you can? I understand you need it as a hedge against China, who are enemies, but there are things you can do. But when our allies turn on the sanctions, they're really useless. So, so Marty, thank you. Uh, let's, uh, I don't want to squeeze in another call because I got, uh, I got uh, Burgess Owens uh, just around the bend. And then at, at 45, I will come back with your calls. I've got a lot of calls out of Florida. Uh, you got your governor being taken on by the governor of California, who's destroyed his state. So we thought he'd come and and be the villain here in Florida, over in Florida. 
I mean, is this guy clueless to how bad his record is? Oil, gas prices, taxes, crime, no punishment. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. China can never tell us what to do. As Speaker of the House, I'm going to meet with whoever we want to meet with, with whatever country. Look, I am not the general manager of the Houston Rockets. China is not going to intimidate us. And there is no better place to be than here at Reagan's Library. What, what it symbolizes. But more importantly, remember, yes, we have the three communiques with China, but we also have the six assurances with Taiwan that Ronald Reagan produced. And what we came was a very bipartisan meeting. We had Republicans and Democrats here speaking with one voice. We need to speed up our weapon sales to Taiwan. Have we learned anything what's happening around the world? Let them defend themselves, deter the ability of China to enter Taiwan. And that was a little, some of the remarks from Speaker, uh, from, uh, from Speaker McCarthy yesterday. And then he went on with Laura last night. But determined after meeting with the Taiwanese president to set up a, a meeting where he goes there. And that obviously drives China crazy. They says we're moving closer and closer to war. Congress, uh, Congressman Burgess always joins us now from Utah. Uh, Congressman, always great to hear from you. Brian, same here. Looking forward to chatting with my friend for sure. Yeah, I mean, what's your what's your reaction to Republicans and Democrats coming together on this issue? I love seeing courage. I love seeing the good old American way. We stand up for who we are. We don't apologize. We don't back down. That's the American way. I'm so thankful that we have a, uh, a speaker that understands that. I was actually in Taiwan with a few of my uh, my friends, my delegate friends, uh, con- congressional friends in, in December. And what a remarkable, beautiful country it is, um, a country that believes in freedom, that's very um, uh, entrepreneurial, innovative. I, I had a chance to get on that uh, that that 189-mile uh, speed train they have down there and thought how good that would be for Utah, a state like Utah. So I'm, I'm excited, first of all, that we are standing as their friends. They, 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 are, they represent exactly what America does, and that is innovation, uh, entrepreneurship, family, faith, all those things. So uh, thank, uh, I want to thank the speaker for, and, and for that delegation that actually showed up. Well, you know, Congressman, they do seem vulnerable by where they're located and their lack of weapons and maybe military readiness. Uh, have you been, have you had a chance to observe that or study that? Yeah, they're very vulnerable. And unfortunately, um, uh, it, it, they make them, they're, they're more so vulnerable because of the, the policies of Biden administration. Uh, as the speaker mentioned, we should be arming them. We should uh, push forward. They, they, they've put orders through. Uh, they've been lagging behind in terms of what they need. Uh, and unfortunately, this is, uh, this is the, the, the way that the Biden administration has always worked. They're late to the party. Uh, they're always frequently uh, working, uh, moving towards those issues that we need to be addressing. Uh, and and this, these are friends of ours. We need to make sure that we are giving them the materials, the armor, arm, armory that they need to protect themselves. Yeah, I hope so. They ordered it. They paid for it. They haven't gotten it. So one thing yep. we learned about Ukraine, they should get it. So let's talk about what when you were in that country, is there a sense that that there's a, an invasion looming? There, there's uh, there's always that concern. because I mean, anybody who understands China, uh, China is, is based on the ideology of evil. And this is what we have to understand. They, they look for vulnerability, look for the timing in which 
they can uh, they can start to control to take over. And unfortunately, we're at that that point where we're we're pretty we're not showing strength here in the United States. If there's ever time for China to to take a, take advantage of this situation of, of the 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 idea they want to take over, this will be that time. So obviously that that is a concern of theirs. Um, and, and we were just there to kind of listen, to, to, to travel, to see what they're what they're doing, and get as much information as we could, and let them know that uh, as a Republican Party, and, I, and as I just heard from uh, from the speaker, it looks like it's bipartisan. You have other other uh, Democrats there also. And in our case, it was a Republican delegation. But uh, we wanted them to know that mm-hmm. that we are listening, we're hearing them, and we want to make sure we do everything we can to encourage the Biden administration to step up, man up, and uh, and, and support uh, our friends in Taiwan. So it was a couple of weeks ago when we saw that horrific shooting in Nashville. We have not gotten the manifesto yet from the shooter who was a, uh, I guess, transit transiting from being a woman to a man. It's hard to keep up. Here's the Nashville police officer talking about what he saw. Cut 38. I think you can call it fate or God or whatever you want, but uh, there I can't count on both my hands the irregularities that put me in that position. When I arrived, I, I don't know the layout of the school. I uh, luckily deployed my uh, my rifle, uh, kept walking towards the gun, sound of gunfire. And that was Rex Engelbert took him out. Um, and and that to go to the fire, you know how much uh, guts that takes uh, to do yeah. that, but these guys were trained to do it. Why haven't we heard about the reasonings behind it? Why hasn't the president visited Nashville? What's going on here? Well, uh, first of all, you just you saw the best of Americans. That's what we do. We run toward uh, when when people are running away, uh, we run toward those those first responders. And and the fact that he, he laid it to where the foundation of his strength was, and that is God. It's so good to hear that. Now we we have a, a president who's absent. Uh, um, and it's, this is what's concerning me on every issue that our country needs him to man up, to stand up, to, to provide for our country. He is absent, whether it be the border, whether it be inflation, whether it be China, the balloon that's doing figure eights over our military bases. We, we have a, a, a president that I, I, I the only I mean, you have to wonder at, at some point, is he just does he hate our nation or is he just that incompetent? That he does not think his way through anything, uh, I, I can't. I, I can't believe that everything that's happening to us right now is, is on accident. You can't make these many mistakes continually and put ourselves in this position we're in right now. In terms of these, our children, let me say this: <clears throat> that should be off the plate. We should not be using our children as gambling chips. Period. Uh, we we have we have the ability right now to protect our children and what the what the hard left and, and understand who the hard left is. And I want my Democrats friends to understand this too. There there are good people in both parties and there's evil also hiding behind the Democratic Party. I call them cultural Marxists. These people hate our country. They hate our culture, our God, family, uh, the free market, property. They hate it all, and and they have no sense of, of shame. So what they do is they leave our children vulnerable, not their children, our children vulnerable. So every time there's an attack like this, they go directly to uh, gun control. Well, last last year, I, I, I introduced a bill called Secure Our Children's Act. <clears throat> it's a very simple bill. It, it says that the, the, the $1.4 trillion uh, American Miracle Act, of that, $122 billion went into the education, to educational uh, uh, system. Well, that, uh, 77% of that has not been spent. We have billions of dollars have not been spent, and uh, and what, what this bill says very simply, 
Uh, it's always been been appropriate. It's already there in the district. Let that money then go to making sure our children are safe, whether it be hard uh, hard infrastructure, whether it be software, uh, whether it be law enforcement. It doesn't matter what they want to use it. They can use it for what they want to, and the states are not able to slow uh, slow walk the process. And and all these schools got to be able to be equipped, all of them, have to be equipped to take out a shooter before they get into the school and to take them down with surge capabilities should they get in. Everyone, big or small, and the money's there. It's just laying there. I want to bring it to college. They did a study, and they asked college students, will you discuss controversial topics on campus? 58% said no. They will not even bring it up. You'll never know from them how they feel about anything. Doesn't that bother you? Well, it's, uh, you have to understand, again, we've been under attack for a long time. Uh, Pete has to put together a book, Battle for the American Mind. I hope people read that. Uh, the cultural Marxists, uh, this is what they do. They're cowards and they're bullies. They find those places, the soft spots where they can't be uh, noticed, and they, they do damage. In this case, there's these tenured professors, these administrators, bureaucrats in the, in the school systems that literally not only teach hatred, uh, but they demand that no one speaks up against it. So we now, and I want to, I want to thank the American people for giving us a majority in the in the House. It's a very close majority, but it's enough for us to be transparent. For I'm right now, I'm the the uh, the, the chair of the uh, higher ed committee for uh, uh, education and, and workforce, and we now are doing. We're going to be looking at things like accreditation. We're looking at free speech. We've had a, a hearing this last week about free speech. We're now looking at those things, educating the American people, and we're going to start holding these colleges accountable. That's the great thing about being in the, on the federal side with colleges. There's a federal nexus because they depend on funding. And it's time for us to open up this, this process to make sure there's a level playing, playing field. Those colleges that, that, that are trying to give our kids a great opportunity, they need to have the same opportunities as these, these woke colleges who are trying to demean, hurt, and, and turn our kids into to, uh, to activists who hate our nation. We're going to do, do our best now to not only expose it for now, educate American people, but when we get the, the Senate and the presidency, we're going to make some major changes. It's time to disrupt this crazy, nutty education system that's run now by Marxists. Who do you hope emerges with the Republican nomination for president? <laughs> I'm going to hold off on that one, uh, to be honest with them. I, I, I have a lot of respect for those who are coming forth right now, but I'd I like to just make sure I'm, I'm hearing more about how they're going to address some of the things that we're, we're doing right now. Uh, and, of course, I'm always getting feedback from, from my district, so I'm holding off on that right now. We have some remarkably uh, smart, uh, brave uh, folks who understand our threats, and I'm looking forward to putting that out there and, and, and competing in that process. Uh, we look forward to it. It reminds me what they said the 60s were like, where well, when you were on campus, uh, you know, with there was divide division when there was uh, yeah. when you're in the real world there was division uh when you fight in the military there was a draft there was division so uh, this is a little bit like that same challenge i know that's when you were coming of age right yeah can i say this though brian uh and i've never been as crazy as it sounds never been more excited than i am today because what's happened, Americans now are kind of waking up out of their little freedom bubble we've been living in for a long time, kind of working on our dreams, our focus, and realize we're under attack. And it's, there's nothing more um, uniting for Americans when we realize we're under attack. And look back on Pearl Harbor, 9-11, the COVID, we now understand our kids are at risk. And that, that, that this hard left, these, this evil ideology is going after the most vulnerable. Uh, in the past, that was just the people that are poor. Now they're going after our children. And our children, no matter how old they are, whether it be four years old, eight years old, they're trying to sens- uh, sexualize them. They're, they're, trying to, they're trying to tell us that the state owns our kids, not the parents. 
that the state now can tell us what books they should be reading. And now Nike besides. and Bud Light are now uh, make, taking a transsexual and making him their cover art. That's their cover art. Yep. It's absolutely yep. insane. It, it, it's, it's typical of a, a, a system in which we now have profit above patriotism. We have ideology above patriotism. Uh, and, and I'll tell you what, uh, there's a reason why I'm not watching the NFL game for four years, and I will not until until they finally figure out a way to fire that commissioner. I'm sick and tired of these 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 uh, these organizations that go to China, go to all over the place to make their money and turn their backs on our nation. And that's what's happened. So uh, we just understand. Keep in mind. Remember Nike. Remember Bush. Bush. Uh, Bush. Remember. Um, uh, remember NFL, NFL, as we started to get more information about what NFL has been doing over the last couple of years. Remember them, and let's be principled people. Let's decide, you know what, go, go for it. Do what they got to do, but I'm not going to support them. I'm not going to put one red penny into anything these people are doing. If we understand that, one thing about the hard left, when they start losing power and profit, they start hiding again. They start pulling back. They start saying, I'm sorry. Uh, but we need to make sure that we're, we're holding these people accountable. And the way to do that is by hitting their pockets in a big way. All right. Go get them. Congressman Burgess Owens, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it, buddy. All right. You got it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. one 408 7669 So did you want to play this now? Because I think, I think right. our listeners would enjoy it. All right, so basically we know, according to reports, Easter's coming up uh, Sunday. Good Friday, one day away. Tomorrow. Uh, yeah, then you got Holy Saturday, things kind of quiet. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people think, you know, also Passover was yesterday. Correct. So here is Sebastian Maniscalco talking about a good way to make this holiday better. Italians and Jews, very similar. You know, people say same corporation, different division. We get along. There's an obvious, you know, thing with the religion. I went to my first Passover dinner. That's what she said. My mother's going to have Passover. Okay, we'll go to the dinner. 7.30, we sit down at her mother's house. I'm starving, right? They start passing out pamphlets, like reading material. I'm like, what's going on? What are we doing here? What's with the... She's like, no, we read for two hours. Two hours. I said, listen, I'm Italian. As soon as I sit at the table, I got to have bread within 15 seconds of sitting down, all right? The food they start bringing out, oh, God, terrible, terrible. Jews have no idea what the hell they're doing in the kitchen. These people have no cuisine. Celery, crackers, jam. I'm like, what is it? We're losing people. People are leaving. We need food. After breakfast, they fall apart, the juice. After a bagel, cream cheese, lox, where are they going? They got nothing. Has anybody ever said to you, we went to this Jewish restaurant last night? The gefilte? Amazing. I respect the Jews, but let's just have the Italians cater to Passover meal. All right. That is fantastic. When was is that a new one? Is that new? It's not new. He, uh, but they posted it this week. Um, it's a little bit longer, right? We had to edit it down because that's like two and a half minutes. But that it's is so fantastic. good. It's so good. So I advise everyone to go follow him on social right. media, and you'll see it. All right, Rex, you're in Florida. Rex, yes, sir. What's good, on your mind? Good morning, sir. I, I just think you're you're kind of wrong with the 
Our your your guest, uh, uh, Mark Thiessen. Mark Thiessen, yeah. Mark, I, well, where do you stand on Ukraine? What should we be doing? What should we be doing? Well, one thing is, I'm I'm retired military. Yep. And I talk to military guys, and the they can't make their missions. The military cannot put get enough people to join. I. I Eventually, this is not going to work out well, and who's going to want to go to war with these with these people? They couldn't even get out of Afghanistan correctly. Oh, it's, it's a disaster. And that's what, Rex, and, the thing that bothers me is that they're in charge. But the mission, exactly. Ukraine, but, but you, you can't just let Ukraine go because Joe Biden is president. I know, but, but you've got to also look down the road because, you know, I don't know. I've heard a few people talk about the draft. There's never going to be a draft again. Not uh, like well, this. Well, but, wait, because but Rex, Rex, focus. Who's going to go? Focus. There, there, it needs to be recruiting reform. You're going to see on Saturday on One Nation, hopefully you'll watch. I'm on with Adam McCraven. I had to tape it early. And we're rolling some of the ads to recruit people. They're embarrassing. They're not one person would look at these ads and say, sign me up. They've got to go back to a muscular, be you know, uh, actually attract warriors into the military. Uh, they're down on every front, and this administration does not like the military. They never did. Democrats don't like the military. Not all of them, for the most part. If what Republicans try to do when the budget is to get money for the military, which is crazy. It should be money for our country, and then they each party pulls for what they want. Why Republicans have to go back for the military and Democrats don't is crazy. He wants to underfund it again below inflation, but it doesn't mean you don't help Ukraine. It doesn't mean that if Russia takes Ukraine, they're not going to take Moldova next, start taking the Baltics back right away. They're already starting to absorb Belarus. They already infiltrated the Moldovan elections. They got to, they got to be stopped here. But I understand your frustration with this administration and the slow walking of weapon system that they eventually first say no to that they eventually green light. And you wonder, how many more people would be alive if they actually got everything on time and the weapons they need? But I understand, too, there's a legitimate concern about replenishing our coffers. Let's do it. Let's get other weapon systems. Let's, let's, let's make sure about it. Let's get Taiwan what they need. And if they don't, I, I, I'd like to hear why they don't have it already. Don't forget, One Nation, 8 o'clock Eastern time on Saturday. Repeat it again at 11. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. A lot going on. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. One of the deepest thinkers and great war fighters in Congress, Dan Crenshaw, will be our guest at the bottom of the hour. He'll bring us up to date on uh, what's happening in Mexico, what's happening at the border. He called out the Mexican president, uh, too. Dan Crenshaw with us shortly. And Abby Hornacek in about 15 minutes. She drove me to work about a year and a half ago. And it was so enticing and intriguing. Uh, we're finally ready to air it. And it's available now on Fox Nation. Uh, Abby Hornacek. Plus, she could talk about anything. So let's get to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. And you have San Francisco. And you have in in Washington, D.C., we have a, a woman from Virginia who is murdered and you have frankly a sloppy and incompetent district attorney in new york that is downgrading 52 percent of felonies you believe this you got to see the cover story i'll tell you about that in a second about this other criminal that killed a 15 year old is now out crime and no punishment is causing great pain in major cities so far voters don't seem to care we do number two the problem they've got is normal everyday americans sit down at the kitchen table they look at their family budget They look at the cost of gasoline. They look at the disaster on the border. None of those things fit what the Democrats wish they were focused on. 2024, Kennedy is about to challenge an incumbent Democratic president, not Ted going after Jimmy. How about Robert looking to KO Joe, Robert Kennedy Jr.? Meanwhile, Newsom quietly heads to Florida, and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis goes to Michigan. Let the undeclared candidates race begin. Number one. We had a very productive discussion with the president of Taiwan today, it's clear that there are several actions are necessary. We must continue the arms sales to Taiwan and make sure such sales reach Taiwan. Masterful meetings with bipartisan delegation in Taiwan as Taiwanese leaders are in California. Does this move us closer to a war? Why won't the Biden administration even offer words uh, words of support? That is the question of the day. Uh, really. In fact, I'll bring you to that right away. And I do. I have not talked about Robert Kennedy Jr. getting into the race as a Democrat and they're attacking him. Can you imagine Democrats attacking a Kennedy like this? But that's what happened. I know they're not my, on much of a winning streak these days, but RFK Jr., the oldest of RFK's sons, who actually knew he got a chance to know his dad. Uh, but, you know, I'm not saying he's like his dad. I, I don't really don't know. But it turns out, you know, his his voice, by the way, that is so strained. It happened because of a vaccine. So he is very anti-vax, and he has a lot to go on. He wrote this, the real Anthony Fauci book, too, that was a bestseller for a while. And people don't know how to push back on a Kennedy. So good luck with that. It's easy to push back on on, uh, Rand Paul, not as easy as RFK Jr., as he looks to take on President Biden, who is clearly uh, struggling of late. So when asked, why why doesn't the president acknowledge the president of Taiwan's here, we have— uh, Admiral Kirby just saying, China, calm down. Don't overreact. We always do this. So here's some of the questions that even Peter Ducey put out to Karine Jean-Pierre. Cut nine. Why did President Biden say about the China spycraft in February, we were able to protect sensitive sites against collection if that's not true? I'm not going to go into or dive into any reporting. Uh, that, that's not something I'm going to do. I'm not going to confirm any reporting. Look, we knew not, the flight. Not reporting. The DNI said today that the U.S. does not appear to have provided critical new insights to the People's Republic of China. So is it they didn't provide any new critical insights or they didn't get anything? I would refer you to the ODNI if you have specific questions on their reporting. Yeah, so that was the big story a few days ago. Donald Trump's trial overwhelmed it. We didn't forget about it. Cut eight. On the Taiwan president visit, if China tries to take over Taiwan, is President Biden still committed to putting U.S. boots on the ground in Taiwan? We've, we've answered this question multiple times. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I don't have anything else to share. He said it four separate times. If they get invaded, we fight. His administration walked it back, but he keeps saying it like Rain Man. So who's telling the truth? 
We'll see. I, I love the fact that Michael McCall took a group, a bipartisan delegation, into Taiwan. Here he is on the ground. The audio is not great, but he's on the tarmac in Taiwan at the same time the speaker is hosting the president of Taiwan. Cut 10. It's a very important, uh, critical time uh, in this region of the world. We just came back from Japan, South Korea, meeting with uh, potential allies of Taiwan uh, as they face Chinese aggression, Chinese Communist Party. So being here, I think, sends a signal to the Chinese Communist Party that the United States supports Taiwan. Uh, and that we're going to harden Taiwan, uh, and we want them to think twice about invading Taiwan. Yeah, that would be great, uh, but I don't think they are. They said they're planning on doing it by 27. Meanwhile, China is a thorough threat. They are not only trying to get us militarily, try to outpace us nuclear, uh, with nuclear weapons, uh, with ships, which they have more, but we have bigger and we have more quality. They're also trying to get us off the, the world off the dollar. They're not having much success, but they are making some gains. So Larry Kudlow was asked, you know, what's going on here? Why are the Saudis cutting production? Why are they considering switching off the dollar or trading off the dollar, at least when it comes to them? And what about our, our future in the area economically? Cut 15. If you had some kind of dollar collapse, what you would see immediately is a massive inflation wave. The dollar goes down, the prices of goods and services that dollar buys will go up, whether they're imported or whether they're homegrown. The first problem is going to be a huge inflation, which would drive up interest rates sky high. Middle-income people, lower-income people, they would suffer the most because the necessities of life their own living standards would deteriorate because prices would be skyrocketing. And there's no way wages would be able to keep up with that. Pensioners, you know, elderly people, Social Security, Medicare, if the dollar plunges, their purchasing power will go down. They're living on fixed incomes. I don't know what they're going to do. There'd be huge trouble. And the administration, some would say, the minute you took the Russians off the dollar or started seizing their assets, they had an excuse now to go to the Chinese one. Now, but they don't have credibility with that currency. It's not like that currency's got this great reputation in security. You're better off in the dollar, but for how much longer? And do we have a plan? Do we have a plan to push back on it? Now let's talk about 2024, because I am endlessly intrigued by this race. RFK Jr. says he's going to get in. Steve Bannon urged him to do it. Not a big rollout yet, but you got to figure he's got his own personal wealth. There'll be more of a factor than Marianne Williamson. And if the president, does the president have to do a debate? I mean, he doesn't want to do anything. He just wants to be able to sit in his office like it's the 1940s or 1840s and not run. Put out a few ads, take out a few ads. If you want me, you can keep me. I mean, Eisenhower famously said, I'm not going to run for election. If they don't want to re- me be reelected, I won't come back. And obviously he, he rolled to an election. The big thing with Eisenhower would be a Republican or Democrat. So the thing with uh, RFK Jr., if he goes out there, he's not a great speaker because his voice is so damaged. But he's going to get big crowds and he's going to take on... He's going to take on Joe Biden in a few different areas. I'm not saying I want him to be president, but this could be somewhat of a challenge, don't you think? And on the Republican side, the president's at a Republican donors conference, at which time he's trying to convince everyone, stop giving to Ron, uh, stop giving to uh, Governor Ron DeSantis and start giving to me because I'm going to win. I'm expanding my lead and he's cratering. I'm not sure that's going to resonate. I know $11 million for Nikki Haley. That's because she's impressive. I'm telling you, she's a formidable candidate, tough as nails, uh, actually has a a lot. I mean, think about this. Not a major thing, but a husband in the military understands it. Former governor gets it. 
Uh, somebody who's a, a mom understands it. A minority grew up a minority in her area in South Carolina, Indian descent, understood it. Mom, first generation, comes over here, knows what it's like to assimilate. Get it. On top of that, she's got the international experience, so she's got some money. So Meredith McCraw was on uh, was on last night on Special Report, and she's with Politico. And she's just talking about what's going on with the timing of the trials for Trump when he takes the old two news cycle away, as well as the debates, the primaries, 300 days, Iowa caucuses. Cut 21. Timing is just going to make for an incredibly dramatic primary that we've already seen have uh, fireworks. I was at Mar-a-Lago last night covering the president's speech. He was angry. He was defiant. And when I was talking to his campaign today, they said he's raised over $10 million. They're expecting even more money to pour in today. So there really has in the short term been a uh, rallying effect around Trump over these charges and what some people think uh, are politicized uh, charges from Bragg. Here we go. Some people, everybody. And you heard, you see the aggression of Jack Smith. Andy McCarthy, who says there's nothing with the Bragg indictment. He he says for if Trump's camp is worried, and they should be worried about what Jack Smith is doing at the Mar-a-Lago documents and what he's trying to do. Asking Secret Service, telling Secret Service you have to testify, flipping his lawyer, saying they're going to testify. Then you have Mark Meadows coming in there on January 6th, along with Robert O'Brien and the vice president of the United States. I mean, I don't know. This guy's on steroids. Is he trying to make his career on this? All right. Uh, so we'll take a time out. I'm going to talk more about that shortly. When we come back, Abby Hornacek's going to be with us. Abby can talk about anything. Not only is she a great athlete with a great sports family, a fantastic feature reporter with her own series of uh, own series of series on Vox Nation, including the quality time she was forced to spend with me in a car in traffic. I hope it's good television. I have not seen it yet, but it's available on Fox Nation. Preview next. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So when I signed up to do the show, I didn't sign up to drive someone all the way home to Massapequa. Listen, that's your idea. (laughs) So you don't want to get up at 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning, so... Abby, you said, what if I drove you home? I did. And I said, do you realize how much traffic we're going to hit? I wanted to sit in traffic because that means more conversation with you, Brian. <laughs> I'm not that interesting. That's I know. The that's what I told them. So I... you know what? We'll put the music on. Perfect. <laughs> and that is, I get. I have not seen the edited piece yet, Abby Hornacek. You haven't. I have not. I, I thought will. you were dedicated to my show. I'm offended. But you know what? I'm <laughs> dedicated to you, but not me. <laughs> I, I don't. Do you like watching your stuff back? No, I hate it. Same with me. I haven't honestly watched the edited right. version either. <laughs> and, and why don't you uh, watch? I just find myself very annoying. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like who hired her? I, I need to talk to my bosses and ask them why I hired well, me. Yeah, I just feel. I just see um, for you. I'd I, I'd watch you. I'm going to watch this. Abby's here. One of her many series, uh, along with Parked. Uh, she also does uh, Ride to Work. She will pick up people, sometimes against their will, Yeah, and you will bring them home or bring them to work depending on where they're going. Usually I bring them to work, but you wake up at, at what, 2 in the morning? 2.20. 2.20. So we drove you home from work. Yeah. And- I called you. I just keep getting voicemail. At that yeah. time, I'm like, Abby, are you here? I guess I'll hop on the train again. <laughs> well, well, funny story. You told 
I think our producer that it was fine if I dropped you off at the train station so that you could train to Massapequa. I thought you were being just nice because you're such a, a, a kind human being. But it turns out you just wanted to skip the traffic, and I was an idiot. And I was like, oh, you know what? It's fine. I'll drive you all the way home. It took three and a half hours. Right. You were such a trooper. So, so Abby, you, I said, just drop me at Jamaica, Queens. Yeah. And you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Because you don't know Long Island, right? No, I don't know anything about Long Island, but now I do. I right. got a great <laughs> <laughs> We had a lot of chance to see things very slow. Um, Stuart Varney is episode one. Yep. That must have been a nightmare. Yeah, he's so, he's so rude. Was he in jeans? I <laughs> just kidding. Was he, he was amazing. Jeans? He was he was in a vest, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. He was in, like a nice little vest, and he was casual. He was so super funny. Did a bunch of accents for me, and I quizzed him on capitals across the world, and I offered him five dollars. I said, you know, this five dollars doesn't get much in New York, but I'm going to give it now, to you. Why did you do that? Because you hear he knows every capital. Yep, I did research. His I've worked with his daughter Angie, and she gave me a lot of inside knowledge. I did right. See, I, I call her. Digging. I call her Angela. It just shows you there's a, a distance between us. Uh, <laughs> Lawrence Jones, number two. What's the most interesting thing about Lawrence? Lawrence, his height, his loves height, crime. Yeah. He does. He does. Loves crime. We did talk about crime, his crime reporting, how he stays he kind of in that it. meta. He does, and he does such an incredible job. Yeah. I think Lawrence, he – I really – I learned a lot. I called his mom uh, un, unprovoked. I just – I called her right up. She had no idea who I was. Such a sweet woman. She was nice to you? She was very nice. And I learned a lot from her about Lawrence and how he used to dress up as a sheriff when he was younger. So that was one of the most interesting that things. That is so I learned, cool. Which it, it tracks, you know, I, looking at his – his job now and the, the things that he does, it makes sense why he dressed up as a sheriff. Uh, and, of course, uh, Texas, where he's from. Uh, yep. Uh, Dana Perino. There's <laughs> nothing really to talk about. Did you find just long periods of silence? Yeah, All we- right. She was at the White House for a while, just got back from Africa. I mean. <laughs> yeah. You know, didn't didn't do country music overnight. You know, mm-hmm. she, she did. So I learned that she used to DJ a country music station Overnight, wow. she also she wakes up at four thirty, not, not too long after you, because she does newsroom and then she goes and does Pilates. Then she goes back home, does the five. I mean, the woman never stops working, just like you. Right. Well, she's very interesting because her husband's in, they're in Manhattan, mm-hmm. so she'll come home sometimes for lunch. Sometimes she'll work out through lunch. This is a tough schedule. It I don't is. know how long because it's such a huge gap. It is, and I the fact that she can fit in working out. Also, she's written multiple books and she has time for that. I mean, I, I, you guys are so similar. you such hard, hard workers. But yeah, Dana was incredible. Gave me great advice. She said, don't worry away your 20s. I said, how do you do that? She goes, you make sure that any anxiety you have, use it for fuel. Right. Don't let it inhibit you. And also she gives a lot of advice. Like she died. That's why she wrote the book. Everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Because she said, everyone keeps coming up to me, asking me for advice and she loves giving it. So she thought, why don't I put this in a handbook? And then put, you know, do not disturb on her door. That, <laughs> and I think it was right. Then you have me, episode four. Do you find everyone's going to episode four? Yeah. It's, it's everyone is just flee, uh, flocking right. to episode four because they hear that you don't like when people chew gum in and front of you. And I did it to you. You did. They wanted to see your misery. All right. You understand? I'm, that's real. <laughs> I mean, do you understand? I, did you like – does it not bother you? I hate chewing gum. So I think I said this on Fox and Friends. I You're okay had just this. as bad of an experience doing that to you as you had me doing it to you. So one thing I realized, I don't mind chewing it, but I realize I can't ask people to give up something they're doing if I do Yes, it. you can. Good. Yes, you can. I should I go back to it. <laughs> uh, but it's good for your teeth. Uh, I will say this. That's one of the main reasons I didn't play professional baseball because everyone's chewing gum, spitting. That whole 
that whole that thing. is the only reason that you didn't play be- baseball. I knew I, I knew that already. Right. <laughs> See, if you did your research, you would know. I did. Uh, how do you do? Do you agree with it? Harris Faulkner? Yes. Harris, we picked up and drove her to work. She was in her rollers. Amazing woman. So low-key, down-to-earth. Learned a lot about her travel um, and, and how she prepares for segments. She, she was a hoot. Um, and uh, how long did it take? Not as long as yours. Will Kane, you, did you drive him from Texas? I picked him up from the airport. Did you really? Yeah, you must have loved that. <laughs> I battled the traffic at the airport. He, did you know he was in the quinceanera business? What business? The quinceanera. I know I sound like Kermit the Frog. What is that? Quinceanera, like when you turn 15 and they throw you a, a party. And he's such an interesting guy, too. Got bit by a mule right in his thigh. I said, that must have been your fault. You were too close to the mule. Right. Why would you buy a mule? Do you, for 15-year-old parties, you bring a donkey? Uh, separate. I'm sorry. That was confusing. Separate things. He was in the <laughs> quinceanera business and also was a ranch hand. So you could do two Different. things. Yeah, you get multiple jobs. Right. I mean, to me, it's a lack of focus. Mm. I mean, right away. Jack I'm like, of all trades, master yeah, of none. Right. And that's his problem. He spreads himself out too thin. And knowing there's a fallback. See, Abby, we can't have fallback. There's, there should be no safety net. Yeah, you, you can't. You, there's no such thing as a safety net. Just full send. Right. Take and the it, risk. And if he gets suspended for bad behavior or anything like that, he knows the heck with that. I'm going to go back on the ranch, that, which, by the way, pays better than this. What would you do? I would probably be uh, Will's assistant. <laughs> I know. I would I would be unemployed. Yeah. Uh, because I pay enough in taxes. I would feel there, as though I deserve there it. There you go. Abby, just another reason to go to Fox Nation, all right? All right. Thank you. Wish we had more time. Me too. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Our long-term strategy has got to be deterrence in the Pacific. So this is how do you show strength? Well, one, if you take a look at the defense budget, uh, both for 2023 and the, and the proposed budget for 2024, it is all about China. It's about you know building more F-35s, more submarines, more ships. It is about making sure we are incredibly strong in the Pacific. At a pace in which you're comfortable with? Well, it's never at a pace at which you're comfortable with. This is the nature of you know dealing with Capitol Hill. There are yeah, you know, there are pork issues, there are strategic issues, there are you know, shipbuilding issues. No, I'd like to see more ships, more planes quicker. Admiral uh, William McRaven, that is not a strange voice to Dan Crenshaw, the former Navy SEAL himself. Texas Congressman joins us. Congressman, how do you feel about what the Admiral views as the priorities in the budget? Is he right? Uh, pretty much right, yeah. I mean, I'm not on the Armed Services Committee. I don't, I don't go into the details of that budget. Um, I, I think one thing he's missing there is the, one of the biggest problems we face is the ability to build these things. It's the industrial complex, right? It's the military-industrial complex that everyone talks about. Everyone says it's so rich and so, you know, so bloated. No, the actual problem is, is that it's, it's been hollowed out. Um, you know, when we're looking at Taiwan, for instance, and uh, the, the weapons deliveries that we're supposed to be giving them, they're years behind. And we could add another $100 billion to the budget and pay it right to these defense contractors, and they would say, okay, well, the timeline's the same because the supply chains are the same. Like, it's not about money. It's about their actual production lines that haven't been used in so many years that they can't just start back up again. That's the real uh, problem. And, you know, he's right. Yeah, look, there's, there's, there's some pork here and there, but I, I'm not really sure what exactly what he's talking about. The real problem is, is, is we can't build this stuff fast enough. 
Uh, I mean, are we picking up the pace? Are there any signs that this is increasing, that people understand the urgency? It's, it's, it's In some cases, it's a physical impossibility, again, just because of the supply chain. So, look, over the years, let's say we don't, we don't decide that we want, you know, this many Tomahawk missiles or this many Harpoon missiles per year. And so the people who make those things, well, they, they shut down production. Um, and, and the suppliers who supply that little part that, 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 that they need for that production line, that little small business, well, they shut down production. You know, and those people retire, the people who know how to make that thing. And so it's really difficult to start that back up in mass quantity. You know, we, we look at back at World War II when we did this, but, but back then, like, these, these weapon systems were not very complex. They didn't even have semiconductor chips, right? It was just metal and just, and just it was just Yeah, move over the Chevy, make the a tank. Lines. Right. It was, it was very different. So this is, this is hard stuff. Um, and I don't, I'm not sure that anybody has a real solution, but, but, I, but we do understand the problem. And we're, we're, I think everybody's working hard to fix it. Yeah, I, I want you to hear what uh, Meredith McCraw said. It said that um, they know that the, the conflict is coming, but I don't know if we're willing to step up uh, for that conflict. And Taiwan knows it for sure. Cut 12. The goal here was to bolster ties, but also not provoke China in any real way. Um, last year, when Nancy Pelosi, when she went to Taiwan, this time Kevin McCarthy met uh, in California because the president of Taiwan was passing through. But, you know, I... I think it's so interesting watching this. There are a few things in Washington that can bring together such bipartisan support as pushing back against the economic and national security threats that uh, China poses. Uh, Nancy Pelosi praising McCarthy and that bipartisan group of lawmakers. It's not something that you see every day on, on Capitol Hill. And she did. She praised McCarthy for doing it. Do you feel as though the commitment's there on both sides? In Congress it is, yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, I, I don't know about the president. The president wouldn't even acknowledge that the president was here. The president of Taiwan was here. No, no, no. I mean Biden. No, that's what I, I mean. mean. The president Biden yeah. didn't even acknowledge the president of Taiwan was here. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is the problem. And when Pelosi went to Taiwan, which I thought was great, uh, President Biden undermined her, said, oh, we're not so sure. You know, his administration said we're not so sure about security uh, issues at this time. It was so weak. And I don't know, you know, so look, Democrats and Republicans in Congress seem pretty united on this. Um, the, the president needs to get on board with that. He, he should have met with her. You know, that would have that would that would have made a that would have made a really strong uh, statement of support. And <laughs> this president, too, has a, has a problem where he listens to our adversaries a little too much um, and, and, and takes them a little too seriously. You just have to accept that people like Putin and Xi Jinping will just saber rattle. Right? They're big talkers. And that's their form of deterrence against our action. We, we have to be more realistic about what they're actually willing to do. Putin's proven that to us over the last year or so, right? He's always saying, if you guys do this, well, I'll, I mean, it'll be the end of it, you know, and you better not. And then we do it and nothing happens. So, they, you know, they're full of crap. And we need to we, – we, we, they are not our national security security advisors. We are our own national security security advisors, and we're the strongest person in the room. So let's act like it. Here is a, your, uh, an example of what you're saying yesterday, cut eight. On the Taiwan president visit, if China tries to take over Taiwan, is President Biden still committed – to putting U.S. boots on the ground in Taiwan. We've, we've answered this question multiple times. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I don't have anything else to share. He said it four times. He would have a confrontation all four times. They walk it back. 
Yeah. Well, the problem with what Biden did is he's he's departed the longtime American policy of uh, strategic ambiguity. Um, you, you don't actually want to make a, a, a very definitive statement on what we're going to do, because, look, the truth of the matter is it depends. It's hard to say what exactly we would do to defend Taiwan, because we don't exactly know how that situation unfolds. We don't exactly know what the nature of an invasion will be. We don't know when it will be. We don't know what the world circumstances will be. It's all hypotheticals. So it's on the one hand, it is good to say, you know what, we're going to defend it at all costs, because that, that in itself is a deterrence, even if you don't mean it. That in itself is a deterrence. The problem is Biden doesn't know foreign policy all that well. He doesn't think very uh, far through these things. And so says something, his staff is like, whoa, whoa, sir, there's like 40 years of precedent here. Be careful. And then he has to walk it back. And then we look stupid. You know, this is, again, this is the problem when you when you when you, when you elect someone who's, who's not that bright and also uh, clearly has you know cognitive issues at this point in his life. And these things matter and words matter quite a bit in, in foreign policy. So I, I want to talk about a couple of things. You were on with uh, Dana Bash a couple of weeks ago, at which time she seemed surprised by almost everything you said. Uh, especially when it comes to Alvin Bragg being left wing, being no charges, being there, the oil and gas, and what the reality was, uh, it seemed just to catch everything seemed to catch you by surprise. So, when you went on there, were you surprised that she was unable to answer uh, to respond to a lot of what you were saying? Um. Well, I don't know. You know, keep in mind I can't actually see her when I'm doing the interview. <laughs> so, I, you know, you know, you know how these interviews go. Every time I every time I interview with you on TV, like I have no idea what your reactions are. Um, you know, I'm not that surprised. Look, in, in, in some senses, I, I I think she's smart enough to know what my answers are probably going to be. I, I think I think she's got to she's got to look to her audience, and I've got to look to my audience. And I, I think well, I'll give you an goes. example. Here's what she said on guns. So the Nashville shooting happens. We still don't have the manifesto. We have this guy that uh, we have this woman that wants to be a guy, and somewhere in between with psychological issues, they're able to get seven guns. And then this is this is how the conversation went. I visit a lot of schools. I do I do talks at various schools. It's very rare that I go into a school, especially the newer ones, and they don't have some kind of armed police presence there at all times. So that's a preventive measure that I know will, will stop this. And there was nothing like that in these last few mass shootings. There's no armed guards there. Um, so the so answer if, if is I'm just looking for guns. actual solutions, that would be it. So the answer is more guns. No, the answer is armed guards. No, the answer is armed guards, right? Armed guards, yes, even more guns. The, the kind of guns that protect, protect the president, that protect you all at CNN. Is it easy to get into your headquarters at CNN? Absolutely not. There's armed guards there. Yeah. There's single points of entry. I think we should look at our schools as a place that is precious uh, and, and have the same kind of security that your corporate offices do, that we do in Congress. You know, if, if we consider a place to be important where our children go to learn every day, it should have the same level of security as every other place, whether it's, not, whether it's a shopping mall or a corporate office that's hard to get into. You're, you're not going to get rid of guns. And I'm not going to say that, that, that people can no longer, that law-abiding citizens, citizens cannot defend themselves anymore and, and, and exercise their Second Amendment rights and think that's going to stop mass violence. People will figure out other ways to commit mass violence once they've, once they've unfortunately reached that point in their life. It's, it's, it's yeah. tragic and it's sad, and a lot of people, we don't understand what's happening, right. what's inside well, their there heads. Was, and so we look to these other solutions that I think aren't viable. There were supposed to be armed guards at 
uh, the schools in both Uvalde in your home state of Texas and Parkland, and that didn't help anything. Uh, let's just move on because I know energy is a big. But they issue. weren't. But they weren't there. It, which is they, the point. Well, okay, but they're they're humans, and that also happens. I'm not sure about that follow up. Um, so where we're at right now is there's the president has not gone to Nashville. Uh, we hasn't really talked about any of the, the the six that lost their lives, including three children. And we don't even know what this person was on. We don't know what kind of psychological challenges they had, how what they said to the gun store owners, and what's in the manifesto. Does, are you going to do anything about that to find out the cause and reason? Well, it's it's out of our jurisdiction in Congress. I mean, it, it, you played that clip, and you asked about this. You know, the one thing I wish I had um, pushed on was – because they they contradict themselves, right? They 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 hate this talking point that we have, which is look, good guys with guns do stop bad guys with guns. All right, that, that's a, that's a common thing that we say, and I think we're correct. They have this they, they have this very strange mentality where they, they 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 believe that's impossible. Like if one bad guy with a gun is bad, then another gun must be doubly as dangerous. And of course, that logic is faulty. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And, you know, they, they know very well that their own corporate offices are, are armed, are, are protected by armed guards. So, so by their logic, they should be protesting that. By their logic, if any gun, no matter who has it, is more dangerous than by their logic, they should fire all of their security. But, but of they course don't. they don't. Yeah. Of course they don't. Just like you guys don't. Because every headquarters has the same thing, right? Like every corporate office has some kind of security. And I'm like, all I'm saying is, Let's just put it in our schools, you know, and, and I got slammed by Peter Stroke of all people. Remember that guy, you know, the, the liar who sure. single-handedly has, um, has uh, destroyed the FBI's reputation. I just took him to town because right? he's like, oh, well, it would cost $10 billion. I'm like, $10 billion isn't actually that much, but it comes down to our kids' safety. So, uh, yeah, and I think everybody wants it. Uh, what about what's going on in Austin, Texas? You got a convicted criminal, this guy, Chaz Moore, head of the Austin Justice Coalition, he wants to partner with criminals. He thinks police are the problem. This is the capital of Texas, for goodness sakes. And it's going and, and the Texas got huge problems, saying record for homicides in 2021, uh, cutting a police budget. Nothing's really bounced back in the state's capital. Is Austin part of Texas? Are you sure? I'm just kidding. But <laughs> it's uh, look, it's that crazy. kind of stuff does happen in Austin. It's um, Austin's a, a, a very different crowd, right? They're trying their best to be like San Francisco. The politicians are oftentimes. Like it, it's still not going to fly, um, you know. We're, we're it's it, this kind of left wing thinking uh, doesn't sit well with Texans, and I, I think even people in Austin, you know, they've they've they've, they've had to vote down certain um, certain crazy proposals on homelessness and in crime and things like that. Uh, because yeah, look, these left wing politicians are out of their minds. They they they've uplifted criminals to victimhood status somehow. They want to protect them more than they, they want to protect the citizenry. It's out of they're out of their minds. Yeah, but then we see in Chicago, as bad as everything is, they elect a mayor that's more left-wing than Lori Lightfoot that thinks that cops, they're going to send social workers with cops. Those are the issues. you got about 1,100 cops who are going to immediately resign. How do you figure the disconnect between logic, forget party, between logic and living a safe life and blaming police? It's a longer conversation, Brian. You know, we we got to dive into their psyche. <laughs> we really do. We've got to try to understand this psychologically. And then we have to try to understand how voters are so easily tricked. You know, in, in some of these cities, like in California and Chicago, 
I don't know where rock bottom is for these people. And, and, and I think, too, one of the problems is, is a lot of the problems in places like Chicago and in places like California, the problems are very isolated in specific neighborhoods and specific areas. The, the rich white liberals that vote for these people because they want to feel good, right? So they want to feel that sense of compassion. Like they're, like they're standing up for, for, you know, poor minorities who get thrown in jail unnecessarily. They want to stand up for them. They want to feel good. Now, of course, they can afford armed guards around their neighborhoods. And they don't really have problems in their neighborhoods. So for them, Chicago is beautiful. And Chicago is a cool, really cool, beautiful city. As long as no one's, you know, hijacking your car or, or, or mugging you. Um, and they can live that life. But the rest of Chicago can't. So, and unfortunately, so they believe the lies and they, and they vote that way. So the same thing is, there's left-wing politicians stopping any bail reform in New York City. And then you have all these felonies being knocked down to misdemeanors, all these criminals with 100-plus arrests who don't spend time in jail. And at the same time, you got to clamp down on Donald Trump from something that happened uh, almost two decades ago that uh, a payment may have taken place six years ago. I mean, do people understand the illogic behind this? <laughs> I do. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, I, I, I mean, when you talk, I, I can only answer for myself. I just, I just, look, I, I, I mean, you, you talk to left wingers. You, you, you live in New York, right? Like, I mean, you tell me, Brian. Like, what, what do people say about this? I, it's, it's confusing to all of us. You know, I mean, I, I think, look, once, once partisanship takes over your mind, and I see it on the right and the left. Once it takes over, like there's nothing you can tell someone. There's no amount of facts and logic that you can tell someone that that will persuade them to see it differently because emotions are so much stronger than 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 logic for most people. Like for me, that's honestly not the case. I think emotions were beaten out of me when right. I went through Hell Week and Buds <laughs> through all my experiences. <laughs> so like they, they were truly just beaten out of me. Like I, I really don't. I really don't get emotional about this stuff. But from from, gotcha. from your average person, it's very natural to have that emotional sense take right. over, and I think that's what you see here. Yeah, uh, get your emotions in check, grab some Kevlar, and just try to go shopping. Uh, Dan Crenshaw, <laughs> thanks so much. Have a great Easter. All right, thanks, Brian. Happy Easter. Back in a moment. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back. It's time to, I'm just wondering, Eric, is it time to find out if we want to know more? More to know. Country music star Travis Tritt, the latest superstar to drop all Anheuser-Busch products because they decide to put Dylan Mulvaney on a can of, of beer because I guess he's trying to become a woman or he became a woman. Same thing with Nike, did the same thing. Now Kid Rock, he's a marketing expert, has slammed Bud Light over the controversial decision. Kid Rock took out several cases with the automatic gun. What were they thinking? I don't know. Honestly, like, I guess they're, I don't know, they're like, just getting the trends online. I mean, the Nike thing is a joke. You have him out there, like, dancing around in a sports bra. He doesn't even have breasts. It's nuts. Joe Rogan slammed the insane obsession with gender of Nashville shoot of the gender of the Nashville shooter. Says, why doesn't anyone just say that this woman was transitioning? Why wouldn't that be playing a role? 
Caitlyn Jenner launches a fairness first pack to keep boys out of women's sports. Disney's live action remake of Little Mermaid rewrites songs like Kiss the Girl to teach consent. Are we kidding? What is happening? It's sort of like Rogan said. It is the fall of society. We have nothing else to really worry about except what gender we are. We should. I think logical people have to push back immediately and don't drink for now on. No more drinking. Don't more drinking during the show. No. No Anheuser Busch. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.